What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. What's poppin'? Real ones. Logan Murdoch here. No Raja Bell. He is out with an illness. So we have Howard Beck in the building as our co-host. No MFN because, you know, it's Thursday. Uh, but we do have a special guest in the building with us. Um, do I, should I tell the story or should you tell the story, Mr. Sam Amick of the Athletic? How uh, should we do this? Should we just get the get the elephant out of the room? But right we're, here? Doing, we're doing what, what it again. Do? That was just a dry run. The, the <laughs> 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 I know we're not talking about what we talk about on the pre pod. We're talking about oh, okay. What you know what we're talking about? talking about? Um, when I when I uh, when Sam found out that Howard was joining the Ringer. Um, you know, because he is is a uh, he he has a lot of sourcing. I get a text from Sam Amick saying verbatim, "Man, I always thought I'd be the OG white guy you'd partner with on real ones." Box is checked now. So happy you guys got Howard. That is just awesome. So this is the first full circle moment. How you doing, Sam? How you feeling? Welcome to real I'm ones. Good, Logan. Man, you picked a good one. I mean, if it wasn't going to be me. Howard just joked off air. He puts the O and OG. That's okay. We're not young anymore, Howard, but I love it. I mean, the Photoshop of him joining you and Raja was like, that was something with, with Howard looking like Snoop. Um, what do you, you mean know, Photoshop? Think, uh, that was... That was yeah. a cat. That was real. Oh, that was you were yeah. Okay. I, I was yeah yeah. It was it was uh, Malibu's most wanted. Howard Beck in the building. That was that was that was. We did that. We flew him out to L.A. We flew Raj out to. No, I'm just playing. We'll go that's just that's just my nah, everyday man, I love trip it. there, Sam. I love it. Yeah. I mean, jokes aside, Howard's a legend, and his insight, his perspective, everything he brings to the table on this pod is going to be a lot of fun to listen to. Has already been a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, and Logan, listen again, jokes aside, I've, I've told you for a long time, love the pod, 
proud of you, everything you've done, man. So uh, this just kind of takes it up another level. Yeah, thank you, man. We're really juiced to have Howard on, man. It's 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 he's always been a, a honorary Rowan, as you are, Sam. But now now it's happy to be a part of the family. Now, speaking of new members of the family, let's talk about uh, Wimbledon and Wimbledon's first game with the uh, San Antonio Spurs. Uh, it was it was it was an interesting night for him because I mean he he he, he finished with fifteen five two and two in twenty three minutes, but he seemed to. It felt like we got the whole entire Wimbenyama experience where there were some parts that saw we saw some of the game where he was a rookie, but there were other parts of the game like down the stretch where he's hitting shots. It was like, oh, is he going to just meet his moment at so early? He's 19 years old. I'll start with you, Sam. What were your first impressions of the first time you've seen him in a regular season setting? Yeah, I mean, like you said, kind of a mixed bag night, uh, scoring flurry late a little bit in the fourth that that shows you you know some a bit of a clutch gene i guess um it's funny though if you go back to the start of the game he blocks why am i forgetting who he blocked maybe Kyrie. Kyrie. i think he got Kyrie. yeah blocks Kyrie, and, and you hear ryan rucco on the telecast go you know the first of many and it was ah no just one tonight that's all there was and and so admittedly uh it was a bit of a letdown for me Logan. Now, now listen, the Wemby experience has already been a bit of a roller coaster ride. You had like the summer league debut that everybody said was his kind of undoing. And that was, you know, wildly uh, off base. Then since then, good stuff. But the Warriors game that you and I both attended last Friday was so far like the most Wemby kind of peak moment yet. And so having seen that in person and seeing, I think, five blocks, um, three on Wiggins, one on Steph, one on Clay. Uh, you know, this game wasn't that, but again, it's the regular season. Um, the Mavs got the job done, gave up a, a lot of points, but but you know, he was in foul trouble. So we saw a little bit of everything, but but this dude is is obviously pretty incredible. It's it's a reminder right off the bat that no matter how talented a guy is, uh, no matter how from outer space he might be, um, rookies are rookies, and most of them are going to have some ups and downs, right? And the thing is, like. I know, like waving away, asterisking away, the foul trouble is 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 dumb because hey, foul trouble is part of adjusting to the game too. But push aside the foul trouble for a minute. If he had just played a full complement of minutes, you know, we might have seen a box score and some other highlights that would have been more reminiscent of what we saw in the preseason. The fact is, the preseason I think showed us definitively because the preseason is a whole other world than summer league. Struggling in summer league is always one of those weird. Is it a red flag? Is it not? But the summer league experience, that that level of competition, the intensity of those games, the whole atmosphere is not an NBA game. To me, what we saw in the preseason was the proof that, that if anybody needed it, that this guy is going to be an incredible player and a spectacular show. He's going to give us the entertainment and uh, entertainment value and great basketball. Um, and he can do it at a level against NBA competition. That was the preseason. Opening night is opening night. Whether that's jitters, whether that's just hey, just it happened. It's foul trouble. I'm not, I'm not worried about Wemby. I, I think we are still going to get all of the pyrotechnics that we were all expecting that we've enjoyed so far. Um, it's all to come. And as Sam said, like I, I like the fact that he hit a bunch of shots down the stretch there after coming back from the foul trouble because it just kind of showed a little bit of resiliency. Like his confidence wasn't hit, um, and. You know, he's 
the 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 swagger is is there, and I don't I don't think we're ever going to doubt that about him. Well, you know, it's funny because like I, me, we've all were at summer league, and you know, me and Sam were at, at the preseason game. But every time you see Wimbenyama, it's a moment, right? It is. It's not like a moment that normal rookies get, right? He's already in the in terms of per, uh, personality, in terms of um, terms of profile, he's already in the tier one of that. While while trying to catch up to that with his game. How do the Sam? How do the Spurs deal with that in this moment, right? Because they they can, they're saying all the right things now, but they've never had quite a prospect that is more as comfortable in the limelight in the way that Wimby is, right? Where he uh, he he's not Tim Duncan, where Tim Duncan actively shied away from it, where Kawhi actively shies away from it. That's going to bring a level of uh, attention, but also scrutiny to how the Spurs go about things. How are they internally trying to handle this? No, I mean, it's a good question, um, and that honestly was my main motivation for going to that game on Friday. You know, you guys can relate. This time of year, we got a lot of projects happening. We got stories. You're busy. That night, I didn't have to be at that game, but it, it felt like this gravitational pull of Wemby was like, all right, you can't not go to that game. So I go, but part of what I wanted to learn was how are they functioning as a group? What's the vibe? And a couple things come to mind. So Greg Popovich and, and the local media in San Antonio is written a fair amount about this he it's pretty neat he's kind of taking lessons learned from Manu Ginobili over the years to apply to Wemby when it comes to the creativity that it brings to the court the way he's going to handle him uh, behind the scenes you know I think that's kind of a, a great little parallel personality wise Manu you know obviously English was a second language for him but he became a charismatic dude off the court you know had his own swag if you will um, so Pop is finding his way with Wemby Teammates, though, I think are it's going to be interesting because all year, guys, the spotlight is going to be so bright on Wemby. You know, there was a moment when Jeremy Sohan had his press conference after they played the Warriors, and you know he gets up there, fields a couple questions. By the time he got like the third Wemby question, you did see his body language change a bit, and you saw him. I, I guarantee you it's nothing towards Victor, but you could just already sense this idea that like. Got it. I forgot I played for the San Antonio Wembys. You know, like that's the mentality of the outside world. Um, Pop's going to have to manage all that stuff because if you actually talk about the way this team is constructed, he's an incredibly important part. He's going to have the ups and downs like we've already kind of highlighted. But, you know, the Sohans, you know, even Zach Collins, you know, Devin Vassell, they've got some players, Calvin Johnson, where um, Pop's job, and Wemby's job is to make the collective work. And, and I think they actually could be competitive, uh, but it's going to be tough to do because the hype is just so incredibly loud. It's going to be something to navigate all year. What is required of, 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 of trying to coach up a guy like this, right? Because you see with Luca, when he was coming up, as you get better and as you start having more success at a young age, you start getting more power. How does that, how do you have that, tried to navigate that dynamic with Wimby, who was going to, I mean, we saw Spurs of it last night of how great he can be and should be. How do they, how do the Spurs navigate that? Uh, you know, one of the things that struck me last night and it kind of dovetails into this question, this discussion, it didn't look to me like even before he got into foul trouble, like they were really trying to feature him, like saying, all right, world, all right, NBA, uh, we have the new secret weapon and we're going to deploy him to his full extent on night one 
here we go. Like it wasn't like they were trying to force feed him or play through Wembenyama uh, primarily. And they've got a great score in, in Devin Vassell. So they've got and they've got some some veterans around like, you know, younger veterans, but they've got guys who have been around and who they can play through and who can score. And so the good news is, you know, yes, this is a team that's been in the lottery for a few years. And Wembenyama is coming in as the designated savior, as often happens. But unlike a lot of guys who have gone number one, he's not coming into a completely like talent barren team. He's coming into a team that was like pretty well constructed. Um, they're young; they have to evolve. They're going to need to add other players over time. But I, I don't think they need Wembenyama to carry them night in, night out. He's going to just by virtue of his talent at times. But they don't, you know, they're, they're not, I don't think they're going to force feed him. That's not the Spurs way anyway. Um, and they're not going to overdo it. So like, I, like just that alone, the fact they have other guys to lean on helps. The fact that it's San Antonio and it's a bit of a smaller market. I mean, the funny thing is, the irony there is it doesn't matter what market you're in. Like there were, uh, the reports I saw was like 200 media members there for opening night. <laughs> yeah. And that's not going to tail off much over the course of the season. And I can only imagine by the time the Spurs come here to play the Knicks, which is just a, like a couple weeks away, um, like that's going to be just Oof. insane. Oof. And and everywhere he goes, it's going to be, but especially like here in New York and some other big markets, um, in LA when he gets there. So like, there's no putting a lid on it. Like the, the, the hype is there. The Spurs as an organization are very good about keeping us in the media at arm's length. And tamping things down, um, you know, Pop will snap our heads off if we ask too many Wemby questions at some point. So he'll be fine. See, Howard, real quick, I need, I need from your past life, uh, your BR life. I'm now envisioning like a game of zones, you know, animation of Pop <laughs> snapping Howard Beck's neck off. That's, that's well, if you remember, visual. game game of zones, the Spurs were the White Walkers, and like right. the first time they were featured, it was like Pop and Duncan and maybe Ginobili as White Walkers kind of like marching toward the camera and all of a sudden Pop's mouth just drops open and there's like this like squawking noise that comes out. That's what's going to happen. Too many Wemby <laughs> questions. Pop is, is just going to eat you alive. Speaking of Greg Popovich and, you know, tearing off people's heads for Wemby, I asked, uh, I asked Pop during that, uh, prior to the Warriors Spurs game and, Sam has given me a lot of stuff about this, but I asked him if he was rejuvenated and he wouldn't actually answer the question. Everything all seems to be pointing towards Greg Popovich being rejuvenated to coach. Uh, Wimby signed a five-year deal, all these things, but he's getting a little long in the tooth and I'm not here for ageism at all, but I, in a perfect <laughs> world, I would love to see the wrong crowd to Popovich. <laughs> I, I would love to see uh, Popovich coach Wimby as long as he can. But we don't know how long that is going to be. Does, does the Spurs have a contingency plan of what they're going to do after this, like after in, in the in the long term? Because five years goes by really, really fast, and that's only his rookie deal. So how do, how do the Spurs manage, you know, the present and and the future, Sam? What what are, what, are, what is their how how do you manage that when you have this all world guy? Uh yeah. I mean, listen, it's uh, not an ex you're not, I guess, hyperbole to say like. Greg Popovich is not going to be Victor Wembanyama's final coach, obviously. Uh, I think they want to get him going down that incredibly special elite road that is first and foremost driven by his talent, 
But, and this is what's pretty cool about this partnership, you know, also very importantly is, is buoyed, if you will, by their history and their program and their personalities and, and their kind of ethos. And the fact that Victor, uh, and not to generalize, but as an international player, you know, and it's a global game, but his depth of knowledge of the Spurs program, the Spurs history, and why he is such a good fit for them, I think only strengthens that connection because, you know, it's one thing if the Spurs think they can do great things with a young talent. For him to come in like he has and really understand the history of, of you know, Timmy and Tony and Manu and all that stuff, obviously his close tie to Tony uh, with the French background and playing for his team plays a part. They want to get him going down that special road, get his career off to a, a fantastic start. And then from there, you just figure it out. I mean, Pop, he's not going to verbalize it all the time, but there's just no way he's not in a year-by-year mentality, regardless of what his contract says. You know, at that stage of life, you are going to reassess every single summer. So in, in that regard, I would say I have no idea if if he'll be you know, Wemby's coach in his second season, but uh, but it, it's going to, I think, put him off uh, on a great foot. Pop was already the oldest NBA head coach in history as of a couple of years ago. I think when he was like in his age 71 season, he's 74 now, he'll be 75, I think, in January. And so he's already ex- exceeded, you know, by historical standards, um, everybody who's, who's, who's preceded him. And there have been a lot of great coaches who hung out for a long time. And this is a young coaches league, especially right now. I feel like it's. I think it really has trended very young the last five to ten years. None of that seems to matter. Like Pop is Pop. Pop's a, a breed unto himself, and the, clearly Logan's obnoxious questioning notwithstanding, uh, Pop's got all the energy <laughs> in the world. So he didn't need to be rejuvenated, Logan. I don't know why you even implied that, or you, you, or Steve Kerr. Oh God! I mean, you know, Steve Kerr's old too. He need to reju- rejuvenated as well. I know he's listening. You can tell him I said it, dude. I'm gonna need to be rejuvenated way before Pop is at this stage. <laughs> I'm. I will not be covering this league at 75. I don't think. See, Logan left Howard. Logan left the most important part out. It wasn't on the transcript sheet. You know, the truth is, he walked up to Pop and he kind of tapped him on the shoulder and he's like, "Hey." Hey, hey, sir, are you you awake? Are you still with us here? I'm trying to speak with you. Like, are you doing okay? Do you need to sit? Can I get yeah. you anything? Do you need a blanket? Do you need some tea? Yeah, straight up. You Have you look, taken your meds? You don't look very juvenated. I, I I've heard that maybe you've. Hey, been man, real quick. When we were when we were at the, it was so I didn't even know that the moment happened until Sam said something in the, the pre uh, media availabilities because I, I just thought it was a question, right? And also like. Pre-game pressers aren't usually like this big, right? It's especially in the preseason. So I thought I was just asking him a question. Sam gets it to the <laughs> to uh the media room and is like, yo, are you are are you an asshole, Logan? Are you are you are you what's going on? And I was like, what did I do? <laughs> and that's how I found out that this became a thing, Howard. This is, that's how I found out because Sam was being mean. You got po- I heard the pod the other day, and, and that's the verb, right? You got popped. I heard Howard's perspective yeah. on on his pop experiences, uh, you know, it all ha- it happens to us, buddy. It happened to me in the playoffs in OKC one year. I remember, got my feelings hurt a little bit. I thought Pop and I were good, and then I was like, "Damn, okay, I guess not." You know, that's how he is. 
We need a greatest hits reel. Has anybody put that together on YouTube, like Pop's greatest hits of destroying us? Well, then it needs to be updated. There's a compilation there, but it's like from like 2018 or something. We need to update that. We need. I'm sure we'll get it because a lot more attention is going to be on there, but I think we need to, we need to update it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Last question for both of you guys, at least on the subject. It's, I'm, I, this is probably a young person asking this, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. Is there is there playing potential on the Spurs team, or are we just looking too deep? Because I see this team playing really, really hard, and if Wimby has like a stretch, there could be a thing, or am I just, it's just wistful thinking to have all this happen so soon for him i can see it uh i gotta cheat and look at the standings here just to kind of have a visual glance um you know there's just not a lot of teams that i'm I'm ready to write off in the west and the spurs are, are in that group you know what i mean like okay portland looked looked not very good on the first night you know we'll see you know how competitive portland is you know utah didn't put up much of a fight against sacramento uh, but they had a lot of moments last year obviously marketing was an all-star uh, the Rockets had a bad debut, losing pretty badly to Orlando, but they've got talent, and I and I think Fred Van Vliet is going to find a way to win some games. So, you know, I, I think they're going to be in the mix um, around the league. I think people would, in a cynical manner, argue that that at some point organizationally they'll probably do what they got to do to not be in the play-in. Um, they, they, you know, the idea of continuing to build in terms of their draft assets would be helpful. Um, you know, but we'll see how they play it. The fact is, like the the Spurs, they're too young, guys. So like, it, like in a normal year, take a young Spurs team that had some promising players, throw in a, a, a generational talent like Victor Wembanyama, and we'd be going, hey, man, maybe they'll like knock on the door of the playoffs, or in this case, the play in. This is not a normal year. We've got eleven teams in the West that are clearly very, very good to great, and that does not include the Spurs, the Rockets, the Blazers, or the Jazz. I just, if one of those teams somehow hops up and gets into the play-in, I'll be stunned. Not because I don't have respect for what those teams are or the progress they're making, because I think all four of those teams, um, maybe not the Blazers so much who are in a, you know, a total rebuild, but like the, there's reason for the Rock to think the Rockets will be better this season. There's reason to think the Spurs for sure should be better this season. There's reason for the Jazz to be able to build on last season. But this is not a normal year. There are 11 teams in the West that, are legit and are just a, a, ahead of those the, those bottom four in terms of their their build and their trajectory or how the, the, the progress already made. So I just I don't want to I don't I don't even want to play around with like oh are we going to see Wemby in a play in game? It'd be fun. It'd be great if they somehow managed to, to to pull that off. I don't see it. But Howard, don't you think just to follow real quick? Like to me, some of the projections for Wemby this season are such that if they on the higher end, if if they actually came to fruition. That alone would be enough to to make that a conversation. The idea of the Spurs being in the plan, and, and we don't know if he'll be that guy. But I mean, you had people on a telecast yesterday talking about Defensive Player of the Year, All Star, and we'll see uh, yeah. if. But if that does happen, then playing is is part of the conversation. I I think yes. If they're like in a best case scenario where he's that rare rookie, especially in this era, right? I'm not talking about the era that Duncan came up in or other guys who, you know, when you went to college for two, three, four years and then came in fully formed and all that. Um best case scenario where he's in the mix for defensive player of the year. I mean, all-star I don't even want to talk about because like it's a you know more popularity contest with fan the fan voting and everything else, even though they're only 50% of it now. Like I if if he's reaching those heights. Does that elevate the Spurs to the point of being in the play-in mix? Possibly, but I still don't see how they are now 
overnight going to be better than you know a, a Pelicans team that was already a few steps ahead or a a Thunder team that has a lot of talent and that's you know uh, been building for the last couple of years has had some time together with this with their core group has an MVP candidate in Shea Gilgis Alexander like the teams that were trying to make moves now there's the unknown right like every year we we overestimate some teams we may be overestimating say the Minnesota Timberwolves right. People have them anywhere from like top four in the West to somewhere in the play-in range. They, they could just fall apart. The, the pieces just may not fit. That's possible. The Mavericks had a nice opening night against Wemby, but mm, I'm still not somebody who has a ton of confidence in what the Mavericks have. Like there are teams that could fall out. I mean, I guess it, I'm not saying it's impossible. I just think it's unlikely and it's not an expectation I would want to put out there. They need to spend some more years getting rejuvenated. Um, let's take a quick break <laughs> and we'll go to the Eastern Conference. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Jump into the NBA action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed. Plus, all customers can get three months of NBA League Pass courtesy of FanDuel when they place a $5 bet on the NBA. You know how I am. I'm going to take the over on all the games tonight, specifically Phoenix Suns versus the Lakers. I think the Lakers are still tired from that Denver Nuggets shellacking. We'll see what happens. And you can do all of this on the FanDuel app. That way you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from point spreads to player props. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings instantly. So don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets plus three months of NBA League Pass. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and tip off the NBA season right. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 years in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. All customer offer. $5 NBA wager required. Limit one pass per customer across both platforms. Restrictions apply. Board where prohibited. See full terms for both offers at fanduel.com backslash sportsbook. NBA league pass. Local blackout restrictions apply. And we are back. <sighs> The Harden saga continues, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Philadelphia 76ers guard James Harden rejoined his teammates for practice on Wednesday, and he will not be traveling to Milwaukee for Philadelphia season opener against the Bucks on Thursday, nor will he be in Toronto to face the Raptors on Saturday. You guys haven't been checking it out. He's been gone for 10 days. Um, so they want to ramp him up. That's according to, to, to Nick Nurse, who was away from the team all last week. 
I, I'm really frustrated just every time I, I hear a new a new hardened thing in the saga, right? Because it's either do you want to be in the building or not, Howard? How long before this just this turns into a thing, more of a thing than it already is, but where it actually affects performance on the court? Honestly, guys, I, I, I've already reached the point, and this is not me saying that anybody else should feel this. I've already reached reached the point where it's like, let me know when he gets traded. I don't care what else happens. I don't care if he's on the team playing, if he's uh, loading other people's suitcases on the team playing and then being left behind. I don't care if he's the guy with the glowing sticks actually directing the plane. I don't care. I don't care where James Harden is. What if he's is. in a private jet next to the team plane, waving through the window? Flipping them off? Yes. You mean what he did all last season? <laughs> Look, if he's in an F-14 Tomcat inverted flipping them off, Top then we style. got something. <laughs> I, I honestly, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything for us to learn or feel or interpret differently about the James Harden situation until something actually fucking happens. He either gets traded. Cool. He's on a new team. The Sixers have some other pieces. We'll see what they are after that happens. Or he doesn't get traded and he's and he's probably not playing. I can tell you this much. NBA teams, NBA players, NBA coaches, they are really, really good at compartmentalizing and moving the fuck on. I guarantee you, as much as his teammates would rather have him there and would rather not have this whole thing hanging over them, the moment they all came to terms with the the fact that James Harden was going to be a holdout, was going to make life difficult for the organization, I guarantee you every single one of those players and Nick Nurse and that coaching staff said, okay, what do we got? All right, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, and just go through the roster, figure out a rotation. We're not planning on James Harden. We're not counting on James Harden, uh, and we certainly don't expect him to be here for the full season. We don't know when he'll actually get moved, but until the point where he gets moved, we have to assume he's just not available. It's just like if a guy blew out his knee on the eve of training camp. You're like, all right, cool. What? You know, I'm mean, not cool, but like, all right, we move on. Who do we got? Who's available? That's how NBA coaches are programmed, and that's how NBA players are too. And there have been moments in in the course of like my career where teams I was covering, someone had like a devastating injury, and I can remember specific instances where I was like, oh man, that's brutal, and it happened at a certain time of the season where it really would hurt them. And you'd be shocked sometimes at how like just like emotionless players and coaches would be. They're like, yeah, you know, yeah, it sucks. Like, what are we going to do? We got to move on. There's more games to play. That's just, that's the NBA, man. It it waits for no one. And so to the extent that I understand that about the way teams work around these things, I I, I kind of feel the same way, which is like, whatever, Let, wake me up when he gets traded or if they're going to just like banish him for the rest of the season and start fighting him because he's not showing up, whatever it is. But I, I just, I don't think there's anything new to learn or feel about the James Harden situation at this stage. I mean, what's the latest on him getting getting the hell up out the paint? Like, because it's everything we know is that the Clippers are the only team that are negotiating now. We know this is the league. We know if everything, anything, anything taught us from the Dame to Miami thing, there is always a team that is out there or maybe a mystery team or something. So I don't want to discount that. But where are we? Is, Is the Clippers just... Are the Clippers just dead set at some point going to be the team that Harden goes to, or is it going to just be, okay, we're going to sit him out until a mystery team comes. Where are we at in the negotiations right now for James Harden's basketball service? 
it, it feels like it's going in the wrong direction. The gap is, I think, only going to widen. James not playing is just not helpful, I don't think, honestly, for either party. Uh, we know how personal this beef is, and I, I think James is, you know, just my two cents, letting it get the best of him when it comes to the history between he and Daryl Morey. You know, none of which is to say he doesn't deserve to be pissed. That's fine. That's his prerogative. But the road he's going down now, uh, you know, maybe there's a strategy in place that I'll understand later that I'm not currently seeing. Right now, I don't see it because, you know, the idea uh, when I was with the Sixers a couple of weeks ago at their camp in Fort Collins was that he was going to play ball, you know, um, so to speak, with the Sixers, actually play ball on the court for a while while Daryl tried to get a deal done. But there was like this chatter at the time, and this definitely bared out, that, all right, now if the Sixers, you know, get a, a better offer from the Clippers at any point in the future that James believed was something that they should say yes to and that met the threshold of his perception of what Philly indicated they wanted. And if they said no, then he was going to be pissed. No, that's exactly what happened. The, you know, the Clippers came with some new stuff. Philly didn't want it. And James, since then, has been mostly MIA. But the idea now of of, of kind of like trying to play this game where you you put your foot back in the paint for a game or a couple of days to avoid getting fined and be part of the team, and then you're back out of town again. That's not going to work. And I think what the Sixers established with the way they handled this thing yesterday was that they're they're not going to be shy about you know putting their foot down and doing what they think is best for the team. Nick Nurse didn't want the distraction of James being in on the bench. Um, you know, some interesting detail from Chris Haynes over at BR on the situation about how. Uh, James, you know, he thought he was going to come to Milwaukee, thought he was going to be part of the, the group and actually got stopped by a security official headed towards the plane. It was like, you're not invited, basically. And there wasn't an incident. He didn't, he didn't, you know, kind of go crazy or anything, but that was it. So he was told to go home. Um, I don't see where this does. It, it doesn't accomplish two things. One, the Clippers now have to reevaluate how badly they want James Harden. I think ESPN indicated that they have backed off a bit in their pursuit. I haven't connected on that side the last couple of days, but that would make sense. It also, you know, the the rest of the market that Logan, you kind of alluded to there, like nobody's coming forward unless they see James Harden on the court looking like James Harden. That's the only way that another team is going to step forward. That's what Philly thought would happen, that if he plays and if he looks like the dude who led the league in assists last year and looks like the dude who, if he's being honest, when he goes to bed at night, he thinks that Joel Embiid's MVP trophy should have like a little engraving that says, thank you to James Harden because he helped Joel get that MVP trophy with the way he played. If he's that guy on the court, then maybe somebody other than the Clippers says, you know what, let's roll the dice. Um, but, you know, teams coming forward for the guy who nobody knows where he is on a daily basis is just not going to happen. I think the league knows who he is, though, Sam. Like, I think to me that... The the requirement for another team. No, to not get, who, where. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only requirement for another team getting into the chase here is a team finding out two, three, four weeks from now. Shit, we're not as good as we thought we were. Or yeah, crap. Our our, our one of our guys just went down, and we're in a yeah, bind, yeah. and we really need to win this season. Like some, if another team's going to emerge from from the woodwork, it's going to be because. Something has happened. Desperation. Yeah. And, and and I think that's what the Sixers are counting on 
to put the pressure back on the Clippers. Um, I've said this, and Sam, tell me if you disagree. I think Logan's already heard my spiel on this, but like, I honestly think the Sixers have a decent negotiating position or leverage in the sense that, it, like, they're they've weathered this before. They played without Ben Simmons, and it was like there's no way they can survive without Ben. They survived without Ben Simmons for a while. They can survive without James Harden if Tyrese Maxey is the player that everybody seems to think he's he's becoming. He may well be. Um, they can survive short term. So the idea that well, like they have to sacrifice whatever it is that they think they need in, in a return. I think they can just sit tight. And I think the Clippers kind of low-key have more pressure almost on them because they're the team that has two guys who in tandem were supposed to get them to the finals or deliver championships. We're four years in. They haven't. They haven't stayed healthy. James Harden, I don't think, is, is a player that puts you over the top anymore necessarily for most teams, but a team that already has two all-NBA caliber forwards James Harden's the guy who helps get them through a season and who also can, obviously, he, he play makes at a high level, led the league in assists last year. The Clippers need to deliver before they move into their new building and before this whole era expires or before people start, uh, you know, uh, finding themselves in, in trouble with the the uh, the multi-billionaire owner. Like, I, like this plan has not worked. And I, again, like I've said this before, I don't blame them for doing it. It was the right move, but it hasn't worked. And everything has an expiration date. And the closer they get to that, the more I think the pressure is on the Clippers to make a deal. And the idea that Terrence Mann, Terrence Mann's the one holding this up. Come on. Like, this is silly. Um, I'm not taking sides here. I just think like objectively looking at the situation, like, yes, the Sixers have some urgency because you don't want to piss off Joel Embiid too many times and risk losing him. But as of right now, things seem pretty calm there. And yeah, I think the Clippers, if, if not Harden, then somebody. I don't. I don't think they have enough. No, I agree with with all of that. To be honest with you, Philly. The, just to pound that point a little bit, guys. Philly's incentive to, you know, to lower its bar in terms of what they want in this trade, is pretty minimal to me. And and specifically, here's why. It's one thing if you're dealing with the Clippers. Let's say the Clippers conversation centered on Paul George, which by the way, and I reported this last week, is on a lighter note, when Daryl Morey got frustrated in the latest round of negotiations with the Clippers, he, in, in you know, kind of true snarky form, indicated to them, well, if you love all of these other assets so much that you won't give me, then let's just have you give me Paul George. How about that? And of course, they basically laughed out loud. But if Paul George was the piece coming back to Philly, then it would be a one-to-one -one transaction where Phillies, you know, could have a vision of Joel Embiid playing with Paul George. Let's go, let's go win a title. Here's the problem: Phillies' plan, and this is just the best they can do. It's it has two phases. You 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 know, okay, fine. Give me an unprotected first, a pick swap, matching salaries, and Terrence Mann, and then I'm going to take all that stuff. Then I'm going to have to go shop for the next guy. They do have people in mind, not clear exactly who. I've got a few ideas, but you know, a little early to speculate. But they also have to wait for those teams to get closer to the deadline, to struggle, the stuff that Howard talked about. This is a two-phase plan, and there is no guarantee that they can pull it off and ultimately have a player in James Harden's old spot who is as good uh, as he was, or even in the same ballpark. So all of which is to say, Howard, that yeah, like Philly... They, they can look at it and say, Maxi takes a jump. We weather the storm. Um, like, what are we missing out on right now? 
We're missing out on, on, on draft capital that might get us the next guy. And the Clippers, meanwhile, you know, game number one, if it keeps going like that, then the pressure stays off. Russell Westbrook's a plus 30. They looked really good. It worked, you know, um, and so we'll see how they play it. But, you know, we know the history with load management. We know everything you highlighted. So, you know, I, I do see where, man, it's it's just stuck. Like the negotiation is stuck, and I don't know that it's going to bust through anytime soon. Sam, building on that question, though, I mean, James Harden has showed his ass for the last year plus, right? And not just in Philly, but also in Brooklyn, where, you know, we saw what happened during that situation. And then Houston getting his way to Brooklyn. There is a sense of a pattern here. So whoever gets him, whether it is the Clippers or another team or however he goes, what are the long-term commitments that these teams are willing to give him considering his track record, especially since we saw what happened over the summer where he opts in to ask to be traded. How do you, if you trade for him, and I know this is the league and I know GMs talk themselves into a lot of things, but what are the long-term commitments that a team would give him? Is it a Kyrie type deal, right? Where it's maybe not as much money, but you know, you, we do give you the years and maybe not the guarantees. Like what, what are we looking at for the new team that gets James Harden? Yeah, I like that comp. I actually do think that potentially, let's say he gets traded to the Clippers, uh, which by the way, it's important. He gets traded there. They need his bird rights in order to make it happen in the off season. I could see a Kyrie type of extension. And at some point, uh, you know, at that point, if, if it did happen, he would have to, to be realistic about the market, about the Clippers situation and about, you know, what's the cap on, on what they could possibly give him. He, you know, you don't have the personal history that he has in Philly. He can't sit there and act like with Daryl. It's just like, wait a minute, you, you told the world I was better than Michael Jordan and now you won't pay me. Like, he, the, you know, it's so the feelings are such a big part of the Philly dynamic, but if he's in with the Clippers, uh, I do think that it is a Kyrie type of uh, you know deal come summertime. Um, again, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall of their front office space right now because you know first of all they've got a pretty robust front office, a lot of talented executives. So I guarantee you that not everybody's always on the same page. You're going to have differing viewpoints. I would love to know you know how they are breaking this thing down um, because you know James, the history you highlighted, Logan. It's bad, man. I mean, it's, you know, take away the nuance, take away whatever side of the fence you're on with James Harden. We have not seen a player have a stretch of three, four years like this in my entire time covering the league. I mean, trade requests and acrimony between player and franchise, that's an annual thing. We are not used to seeing the same name attached to that annual thing, you know, for this many years running. As he's getting older, right, Howard? Like, I don't, that's another thing, right? Because he's, he's, He's not a guy that's going to get any younger. And it's not like he's the uh, the hardest worker in the league, right? Um, or the most committed person in the offseason. So, like, how I, I don't know how you talk yourself into that either with his age. Sorry with the age. I know that is a theme of this, this episode. <laughs> I apologize. But in the context of this, how, how, did the, how do teams even approach that when you're negotiating with them? And also, if you're over here mad at Daryl Morey for sliding you, what do you think these other teams are going to do? Like, they see the, the same thing. They're trying to get the best deal for their team as well. If we're going to go on the assumption that the reason James Harden, though he won't say it out loud, the real reason he's pissed off and is saying that, that Daryl Morey's a liar and all this is because he was promised a contract that was never 
that never actually materialized. That contract, to your point, Logan, is not materializing anywhere. Again, it's not. Not at his age, not with his track record, not and not not with where he is physically. And, and I, I mean track record both on the court where you know, he's, he's slowing down a little bit. And yeah, a spotty record of being in shape. Um, and not with his track record of constantly souring on situations. Like no team in the league is going to trust him, even if they believe still in his talent and his ability to help push them forward. And I'm sure the Clippers and some other teams do believe in that last part. But everyone's going to be wary of him because he's made them wary of him. And I think the the saddest and strangest part of this whole thing, and it and it it just he is hurting his own cause. He's hurting his own cause in terms of the way that he's le- viewed around the league. He's hurting his own cause. Even in getting out, if you want to say whatever you said over the summer, fine, but be a professional. They are still paying you to do a job. I don't care who your beef is with the GM, coach, teammates, the trainer, the janitor. The contract is there. You are being paid for your services. You can't withhold the services and like show up and show up and do your job, do it at a high level. And yeah, that might actually hasten a deal. Um, but the longer you, create uh you know hold out create more drama keep this this cloud over the franchise it's a cloud over you too he seems to think he can do all this and have it have no impact on him that's crazy like like there's there is there is a cumulative impact of everything that James Harden has done and said over the last several years through all these forced trades and all the drama that he's created and it may well shorten his career to boot it certainly is going to hurt his ability to get another max deal next summer. I can't imagine him getting what he wants at all these things. And it's just, if there was a way to play it, he broke all the rules of playing that game, right? When he, when he turned down a max extension in, in, uh, in Brooklyn and turned down a max deal. And then we're into this crescendo of where we're at now. We'll see what happens. It's going to be some, something interesting to look at. Reminder slash disclaimer. Like you mentioned Kyrie earlier. And I just, it, it always blows me away. Like I had a, a, a story when Kyrie and his off-court stuff was at its lowest low, uh, had interviewed a bunch of executives anonymously about his market and had a GM, not an assistant GM, a head of a front office tell me, I'm not sure he's going to play in the NBA again. And so you see like the attitude go from that to him getting the Mavs deal. I'll, I'll just say like this league, to, to quote our buddy Mark Stein, is it always gives you something crazy and and who the hell knows you know where this is going we'll see what happens man um before we get out of here i want to talk real quick about the new all-star uh since i have two hard hitters right right here i want to talk about the all-star uh changes um they're going adam silver basically leaked this himself uh in an interview with Stephen a smith last week but basically they're, they're no more drafts no more um no more uh teams that are that are going to be picked like us on the program we're back to east and west but it's interesting for me and i want to start with howard when i'm asking this question when it seems like the league is finding itself in a transitional phase and trying to figure out what is going they're moving like a team that is trying to appease the new uh TV partners or existing TV partners and trying to make them probably a more attractive thing for a new TV deal. This is this is how I feel. And the changes that they are making um, when you talk about load management and now the in-season tournament and all these new things. What is the league trying to do with these new changes or just trying to figure things out right now, Howard? What, what are they trying to accomplish? Because I, I feel like 
there's only so many changes you can make on a year in year out basis. So many announcements, so many things where people think now they're like, well, now I got to educate myself now on a new in season tournament. Now I have to, Oh, now the all-star game is going to be like this. What are that, that leads to confusion. So what are the league trying to do? And when are they going to find like a, this is, this is the, this is the thing that we are going, this is the rhythm that we're just going to have. And you can expect from an NBA season. When are we going to get to that point? So the thing I've admired about the NBA under Adam Silver, and I think this was the case for David Stern too, but especially with Adam Silver, you know, he loves that phrase, fresh look. We're going to give this a fresh look. He has said that about literally everything under the sun in his 10 years as commissioner. I I appreciate their willingness to experiment and to try new things, especially when something has kind of flatlined as the All-Star game had. And so they came up with all of this. They, they, they instituted the player draft where the two leading vote getters in East and West draft players. They did it on TV first. Then they did it at the All-Star game itself this past year. They instituted the Elam ending where you have a target score in the fourth quarter so that the game doesn't drag on. They instituted the playing for charity and certain other features within the game to try to get guys to play harder. And it kind of worked initially. And then it didn't work at all. And the last couple of All-Star games have been absolute duds. And so again, I will, I'm not going to mock the league for experimenting and then abandoning the experiment, but I do think there's a, there's a risk here in like, oh, we tried this thing. We did it for a few years. Yeah, it didn't work as well as we thought it would. Now we're abandoning it. Now we're doing something different again. I don't know if they gave it enough time, to be honest, guys. I thought the Elam ending was absolutely effective, even though the game has, you know, the game's a dud again, but that that's still mostly about the players. If I don't know how you get the players to care again. And that's the thing. Like They instituted all these things to try to infuse some energy into the All-Star game. It, it just hasn't paid off. But if you're going to reverse the changes you made, but not introduce any new changes, then where are we? We're just back to where we were four or five years ago when you were looking for answers to make all, the All-Star game fun again. Um, I, I I don't understand this move exactly. And the player draft, I know like not everybody at the league necessarily were fans of it. I think most fans and media, I mean, you guys tell me if you think otherwise, but I thought people really enjoyed the player draft. They loved Well, it had a lot of great moments because it starts like yeah. it's it's during during around the trade deadline, like the moment where we have when Harden gets traded uh, out of out of Brooklyn and then you have you have LeBron and Kevin laughing about it. That's a great moment, right? Right after it happens. The little subtle snubs. Yeah, the little subtle snubs, yeah. the keeping it like Giannis not pick, Giannis picking Dame over Drew. Like, did the league just decide, did they low-key get, like, feedback through channels that the players actually felt awkward about those they kinds of, have. the things that we enjoyed, did they not, and now they don't want to be put on the spot for the that? The league needs squeamish? to stop, like, they need to figure out, this, that I'll get to Sam, they need to figure out if they really fully want to be messy or not, because if they, if they, they always go, it's like double dutch with the league, either they're going to say, we're going to go all in on free agency and player trades, and then speak out of both sides of their mouth, that's what I don't like, and then they're going to do this where, oh, yeah, we want to make the game great and we want to be messy. We want to do all these things, but we're going to take away the most entertaining part of the of the all-star experience, at least the pre-all-star game experience. Yo, you get to see uh, inside guys talk shit to the two uh, leading boat getters. And then, like, I just I just want the league to just find a a North Star. Sam, I think that's where I'm at right now. Figure out what you want, and that, that's what we need. The, the calculus for the league between entertainment 
and then their own politics internally within the association drives me crazy in terms of, all right, players making more money than ever, everybody making more money than ever. You would think, and this is me as a consumer saying this, that like, you know, the degree to which they're being rewarded for their work would mean that you prioritize the entertainment above all else. What in fact ends up happening a lot of times is it empowers the people, the players, to a degree that that ends up hurting the entertainment. It's a very macro look at it, but like, okay, the draft is fun. A few feelings get hurt along the way, it suddenly disappears. Whether it's, uh, wasn't it Jokic like thought he got drafted and he started walking and, and then he didn't get picked? You know, little moments where, you know, maybe it's a bad look. Guess what? Fans enjoyed it. Uh, as an aside, this relates. I had a, a chat the other day with Jordy Fernandez, the Kings assistant coach who was Team Canada's coach during FIBA World Cup. And I was joking with Jordy saying, man, first of all, enjoyed seeing you do your thing with Team Canada. But also, I said, FIBA, uh, they had a feature during their coverage where they had open mics on the coaches. And it was wild to watch. So you got to see Jordy telling his players at one point, he literally says, pardon the French, but he's like, listen, I know we're getting fucked, but don't worry about the refs. And you hear that. And that was dope. Like, it was cool. And, And I said that to Jordy. And I don't think he'd mind me sharing the story. He was like, I hear you, but he's like, I got kids, I got family. He wasn't real happy about it. Like, and so you got a sense of that dynamic. So the consumer is going, yes, give me more, give me more. This is the real stuff. And then you have Jason Kidd last night who was trying so hard not to say anything on on the television broadcast, right? right? Where he's just like, let's go, guys, let's go. It was, by the way, while they were doing that and they decided to do split screen and there was like three minutes of split screen with Jason Kidd just sitting there watching the game going, he's not saying anything. Dude, stop it with the fucking split screen. I want to watch the game. I get it. You've mic'd up Jason Kidd. We don't need him taking up half of my TV. Sorry. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I just need to get that off my chest. You got to get the real stuff, you know? And and so, and I guess to to quickly weigh in on the All-Stars, yeah, it's weird. They just, it's like they're at the dartboard and they're just throwing it. Things change a lot. You know, Howard and I were on a call last week with Joe Dumars and Evan Wash, two top executives with the league who play a big part in these types of decisions. You know, and and Joe's spirit and Joe's message regarding the All-Star game, like if, you know, if if he's able to follow through on that, that would be great because he talked about messaging to the players about why they need to be competitive. And, and he was pretty fired up and wanting the all-star game to be competitive again. But, you know, okay, so you go back to the old format. I don't really know incentive-wise how else they have motivated the players. I don't necessarily see a change, you know, coming other than, you know, maybe telling everybody, hey, TV rights deal's coming up. Put on your best, you know, face foot forward. That's kind of what we're doing right now. Um, But but it is a a little scattershot. The NBA is moving like it's in a contract year right now. Yes. That's how they're moving. Yeah, well, they are. Well, 100%. Yeah. No, as I say, if 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 the problem that everyone recognized, and everyone recognized it, is that the All-Star game has become kind of a dud, and we instituted these changes to try to make it fun and interesting and competitive again, and now those things have been deemed a failure, which is what this change back is an admission of. It failed. But you don't have anything new. So where I don't think it failed. I don't think it failed. I think the only failure was on the players. It's not the thing around it. The common denominator is they don't play hard. It's on the players, no matter what. It's a failure, Logan, in the sense that they changed some structures to try to juice it up, and then it incentivized the players or motivate the players to to uh, treat the game 
a little bit more seriously and and it didn't so yeah they failed to get the players to it to um to play harder in the all-star game. By the way, the f- I went to my first all-star weekend as like a media member last year. I see why the players are, it's, it's tough for them to get up for like an all-star game. I get it in theory. There's so much going on during those things. It's been such a corporate ass environment. And there's these parties, there's all these things that are going on. Like I, I honestly, by the time the game gets there, I mean, I'm dipping. I'm going back home, right? Like you, the players by that time don't want to be there. I just don't know well, what you can. I, I don't like to your point. I'm really just trying to figure out what a player can yeah. do or what they can do to get the energy enough to play in an all star setting. All that's true. All star weekend is a is a freaking circus, as Sam will attest. And the players have a ton of demands on them. There's a, a ton of stuff they got to do, plus a lot of stuff that they want to do. Um, and by Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, they're probably ready to just like say, all right, I'm done. But guys, one of the first things that Adam Silver did as commissioner was make All-Star Weekend or the All-Star break from a three, four day break into a full week. Because they wanted the players who played in the All-Star game to be able to come back and rest up and be fresh again for, for the last part of the season. So that's already built into this. They've already accounted for it. And the guys are still basically like, eh, check it out. I'll go back to what I've, I've said for years on this. This will never happen. This is one of my many DOA proposals. This is my drunk with power uh, pitch that I used to do on, on, on my podcast back in the day. 10-minute quarters, running clock. Problem solved. Because it won't drag on anymore. The, the thing's too damn long. And the urgency of the clock ticking all the time and shorter quarters might actually amp up the competition a little bit. So there you go, uh, NBA. You get that one for free and you're never going to embrace it, but oh well. <laughs> I love Howard. <laughs> before we get out of here, before we get to real one of the week, because it is Thursday, I want real quick to both of you guys: Is this um, in season tournament a one or two year experiment, or is this going to be something that sticks? Uh, Howard is very bullish on this, so I'll go with Sam first, and then go with I'm Howard. Well, Sam, what do you think? <laughs> I think it'll stick. You know, just because of what inspired it, which is you know soccer uh, overseas, and Adam Silver's perspective on their ability to have the games matter and they you know I think it'll be tweaked it's it's not going to remain in this form they made it really clear at the jump that you know the way it looks right now uh will not necessarily be the way it looks going forward so I think they'll read the room see what kind of things they can change to to optimize it going forward but but I think it'll be a long-term thing it's it's probably here for at least a few years, right? Like they didn't invest all this time and energy into launching this with Adam Silver pounding the drum for it for literally a decade just to then pull the plug after two or three years. Um, I mean, it's, it's not the all-star game where you could just change it every three years. Um, <laughs> or a dunk contest, which also gets turned. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I think they're very serious about this. Now, if, if the players don't embrace it in the way that the league is expecting and hoping if the fans don't embrace it in the way that the league is expecting and hoping it could have a short shelf life for sure like that's on the table that is in the realm of possibility but philosophically i think they're very committed to this and besides that not for nothing but as they are negotiating all these new broadcast rights deals streaming rights everything else this is another thing they can sell to sponsors and to those uh, new bidders for a piece of their broadcast rights. So they like having other tentpole events that can draw sponsorships and that they can build a whole package around. Um, that's that's at least a piece of this, which means that they're incentivized to keep it. I did like the commercial, the little Ocean's Eleven commercial. 
Those are fun. Yeah. 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 That was good. Draymond as a cop was very was hilarious to me. Yes. I, I think I think uh the biggest the biggest uh concern for the league should be if the Michael Imperioli Oceans Eleven style commercials end up being more entertaining than the in season tournament itself, that's when they'll have a problem. But uh it's too soon for me to get into that kind of snark and I did it anyway. Hey Howard, just to stay on brand as the two OGs here, like I'm just I'm gonna get my U two tickets for middle of, of uh December in Vegas, you know. You know, that's the perk for me. Let's, man, let's go. No, I'm trying to go to. Hey, man, I'm trying to go to Usher again. Let's. I, I'm that two Americans. I'm not trying. I want to see the sphere. Is he at the sphere? Uh, I, I assume maybe at some point, but I don't know. I think Usher show is better though. So you need to tap into I'm that. Still, I'm afraid of the you. sphere. The sphere freaks me out, man. Like you're gonna disappear. <laughs> Does it? It's, is this the sphere? The sphere? It's it it fear the sphere. It's it's really cool and really freaky. Like when you see it, when you're because it's huge and like when it turns into the moon and it looks like the moon crash landed in the middle of Las Vegas, it's freaky. Man, Howard, li- wait, hold on. We got to contextualize this. This is Howard Beck complimenting a James Dolan production. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> You've always there's, been there's a the big other fan. problem. Facial recognition technology is going to keep me from entering the sphere anyway. <laughs> That's actually what the, on the, is. the whole entire thing is just facial recognition. It's going to be technology. it's going to be me, Sam, and Howard pulling up to the sphere, and then the face recognized. Howard has to get left there. <laughs> me and Sam going to be it's like, right, be like bye, James bro. Harden trying to get on the Sixers plane. <laughs> there we go, and there we go. Um, let's before we get out of here. Thursday, you know what that means. All my real ones know. Real one of the week. I will start off and then we will go to Howard and our esteemed guest, Mr. Amick. I'm going to go with Malik Monk. I saw him yesterday with the early dunk of the year. I don't even know what his stats were for that game. He's one of my favorite players in the league. Was he good? Okay. I'm going to see the Kings for the first time tomorrow. But Malik Monk, one of my favorite players in the league. The way that he can, uh, he's one of those guys, Sam knows, has been to a lot of Kings games, where his performance can galvanize the fan base in the moment, right? One, three, he has such a special, and the crowd is going crazy, he has such a special relationship with that Kings crowd um, and the energy that he brings. Um, big O2 Bobby Jackson vibes from our guy Malik Muck. So, uh, ruin of the week is Malik Monk from me. What about I like that you? one real quick, Logan. I got to follow. Um, shameless plug. I wrote a big piece today on the Kings with Anthony Slater, the lead to the story, uh, which is well-written Slater actually handled the lead. Good stuff. I, I, but I'll say the video is even better. Uh, Tony Harvey is a longtime media member in Sacramento. Logan, you know, him. Tony took a, a video October 13th. The Kings have practice, right? They're scrimmaging Malink Monk goes on the right side, gets hit on the arm, and he gets pissed because he doesn't get the call. They had officials as part of the pickup game. Stops playing, turns to the ref, and whines, right? Complains. Mike Brown comes from the left side, top of his lungs. Malik, I'm about to lose my fucking top if you keep doing that shit. Malik kind of barks, didn't bark back, but he says something back. Mike twice, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Just losing his mind. Uh, and to Malik's credit, like, so we got into this a little bit. You know, Malik took it. Malik understands what Mike is trying to do. Uh, but but he, uh, he 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 bore a little bit of, of the Mike Brown brunt that day. Uh, and so to see him then be able to turn a new leaf and be good in game one was impressive. Well, Malik took that advice and turned the motherfucking Jets on. Like the beat. <laughs> <I, I, laughs> Howard, who is your ruin of the week? 
As long as Sam has already set me up as uh, Nick's villain, Dolan villain on this pod, I might as well go with Kristaps Porzingis. You're so petty, Howard. You're so petty. I mean, listen, I, I am not the one who caused Kristaps Porzingis to have 30 points, eight rebounds, and four blocks on opening night to beat the team that traded him away for uh, a, a bag of peanuts for a few years ago. Um, pretty spectacular debut. The, uh, the, the, the good folks at ESPN social media team came up with one of like those, you know, uh, first to, you know, uh, do this on a Thursday um, on the odd day of an even year. Um, most points in NBA history by a player making a franchise debut meaning for the Celtics, against the team that drafted him, meaning the Knicks. Very, very obscure framing. <laughs> but uh, it, Shout it was out to something. ESPN trying to get that engagement. <laughs> you know it. Um, but still, I mean, like, big, big time performance. And I think, listen, you know, all jokes aside, like, um, Porzingis, like, he, he was ultimately a disappointment with the Knicks, partially because of the ACL, right? And then some other stuff that went on. They trade him to Dallas. He's supposed to be the one-two punch with Luca. That doesn't work out. They they trade him for you know a couple of, of of contracts. Basically, they send him to the Wizards. He's in purgatory. He has his best season statistically on a team that was going nowhere. So you really don't even know what to make of like was he really? You always wonder this. How good is a player when he's putting up big numbers on a going nowhere team with no pressure and no expectations? Now he's at a, in a place where the expectations are absolutely through the roof. They gave up a franchise icon, Marcus Smart, to get him. And there's a lot on him, right? Like, I think everybody agrees that the Celtics are going to uh, get back to the finals or finally win a championship this season. Yeah, there's a little bit of like, is Tatum going to take another step? Is Jalen Brown going to take, a, you know, blah, 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 blah. How good is Drew Holiday going to be for them? But the big question mark is really Chris Epps Porzingis. Can he stay healthy? And can he be a difference maker and opening night against his former team with the entire garden chanting, fuck Porzingis, so loudly that you could hear it uh, through, wow, through the TV. Wow, I, I missed that. Did that happen? Oh, yeah. Wow. It was booming. It was booming. And the, and the dude delivered. It, was it wasn't just the big numbers. He he had some clutch shots down the stretch. Like, it's pretty impressive. Great game, by Man. the way, too. It was a great yeah. game. That's a good real one pick right there. Mine's not as spicy. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the one and only... Serbian wizard Nikola Jokic. This dude uh, does not get MVP last year. I voted for Giannis. Now, probably my early, you know, handicap pick for this year's MVP award. But more specifically, you know, they they win the title. He's got his summer of fun videos of him doing, you know, front flips off of rafts in the middle of a river, watching horse races, all the stuff that comes with the Jokic experience, vibing. But the Lakers decide that it'd be a really great idea in training camp to start chirping about how, oh, we heard what Michael Malone said about us in the championship parade and it just acted like this was, you know, a real thing. And it was ridiculous. You got swept in the conference finals and you... Wasn't even close. You hijacked, LeBron hijacked the post-game four scene with his I'm going to retire press conference, which, you know, he's a pretty deliberate guy. <laughs> I'd forgotten guy. about that somehow. Yeah, and, and now and now they're the bad guys, you know, and, and so in AD in camp really openly talked about the fact that the, the Lakers were motivated to play the Nuggets. They had been hearing the chirping and and they're fired up, ready to go. So Denver just goes and puts it on them in their debut, which by the way is tough to do on ring night. So it's ring night. We're gonna show you the bling. We're gonna smack you in the face. Jokic is gonna have his first triple double of the year. Uh, what do we got? 29, 11, 
and 13 boards. Uh, not too shabby. AD, I believe, scoreless in the second half. Um, maybe took one shot, just fell apart. And, and it's just one game. But as far as being a real one, you know, all things Nuggets and their ability to to get the best of a, a rival like that is is powered by how great he is. And and yet again, he's he's off to a great start. I picked the Lakers to go to the finals this year and, and immediately <laughs> look terrible. <laughs> oh, speaking of chance, I assume y'all heard the Who's Your Daddy chant? Yes. Oh one. yeah, man. Hey man. Yeah. Nuggets got mind control over the Lakers right now. It's tough. It Jamal Murray. Tough. This was a, a rare good microphone moment because we were killing that feature earlier. Jamal Murray was mic'd. And yeah. he's talking to Michael Malone courtside as the Who's Your Daddy chant keeps going. And Jamal looks at Michael Malone and he smiles. He goes, this is your fault. This is all you. You did this. Because in the parade, of course, you know Michael was talking about Who's Your Daddy. Um, so, yeah, the, the Nuggets are, are uh, living... Rent free in the Lakers' heads right now. Get up off the mat, Lakers. It's looking it's looking bad right now. Like, <laughs> get your shit together. We'll see what happens this week. No, they got Phoenix tonight. Yeah, let's let's see what you guys do in your home opener. It's that was uh, not a as, good start to the season. As as we're as we're uh, winding down here about that game, it sounds like Booker and Beal are not playing. So, oh uh, boy, here we go. Oh my goodness! Wow, player okay, participation policy. Where, what happened? <laughs> wow. At least we get LeBron versus uh, KD, not going to win. But um, all right. We will see you guys uh, next Monday. Sam, thanks so much for joining us. We will have you on again soon as the season progresses. Howard, you know what it is. Um, See you guys on Monday for Motherfucking Mondays. Talk soon. Bye. Must be 21 years and older and president select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, one 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit KS Gambling Help in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or visit 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.